Welcome to Why I Hate Your Podcast. These days, there are a lot of podcasts to choose from. This is another one. I'm Crystal, and each week my brother Sean and I meet up to talk about two podcasts and why we hate them, or don't. Join us and we might help you find your new favorite podcast, or save you from wasting time on a podcast you might hate. So today's podcast is The Portal with Eric Weinstein. Now, Eric is the brother of Brett Weinstein, who we've, uh, he's got his own podcast, uh, Dark Horse podcast that we've reviewed previously. And I'm sure we've mentioned Eric multiple times uh, in this podcast before. But Eric has a podcast called The Portal, which kind of has a broad range of topics. The actual official description is, The Portal is an exploration into discovery, including conversations with thought leaders. Host Eric Weinstein, Managing Director at Thiel Capital, brings his unique expertise and diverse roster of guests for a wide range of discussions, including science, culture, business, and capitalism. And that's that's an important fact because uh, Eric is a mathematician, whereas his brother Brett is a biologist and so he works in finance i think that's his part of his day job whereas the portal's a side project of his his guest list is very it's kind of all over the place it's kind of like it's just it's people he wants to talk to about various subjects and uh eric is very very he has a broad area of science culture and whatnot that he finds interesting I've, I've listened to his uh, his podcast for quite a while, so and I'm very familiar with who he is, but this is the first time uh, that you had a chance to listen to this podcast, correct? Yeah, and I had I was aware of his podcast. I had not checked it out, not because I didn't think he was interesting, because I'd heard him on Joe Rogan, and I knew he was the brother of Brett Weinstein. And so I was tempted, but I was also... On the episodes he was, he's been on that I've listened to of, of other podcasts, he's clearly very intelligent. And I was just worried that his podcast was going to be a bunch of stuff that I wasn't going to be able to follow or it would just be kind of above my head, especially when you get into like the quantum mechanics and cosmology and physicist stuff that I, I like to dabble in a little bit, but I need kind of a, a guide who will explain things in a way that I can understand, you know, because I'm, I'm like, I'm just above like noob level when it comes to that stuff so i know you you have spent a lot of time consuming media around those topics and so you have a much better understanding of quantum mechanics than i do so sometimes these kinds of things are really intimidating for me and i'm not all that interested in becoming really knowledgeable about it so i've not invested a lot of time in it so this is my first time actually checking it out and I have to say, I was pleasantly surprised. You recommended a couple of episodes, and I also, I had forgotten that, so I started with a couple other episodes that sounded interesting, and there's actually not that many episodes. I Mm -hmm. think he's only on, like, episode 42 or something. They're very kind of sporadic as far as how often he uploads. Yeah, and again, I think that goes back to, like, this isn't his day job, right? He works in finance for Thiel Capital, which is... Uh, Peter Thiel's company. So, so which episodes did you, uh, you listen to? I listened to okay. So I listened to the episode with St- I'm gonna I can't remember if it's Stephen or Stefan Alexander. It's spelled like Stefan, but it might be pronounced Stephen. Uh, who is a physicist and a jazz musician. And interestingly, the timing of that episode, I didn't realize it when I was listening to it, but he does one of his kind of essays, little mini essays before he gets into the interview. And it was around the time of kind of all the civil unrest after the George Floyd killing. So he sort of introduced a He did a little kind of mini essay before the interview where he talked about his perspectives on kind of the best way to move forward in race relations, which was basically we need to understand each other better. We need to have conversations. We don't need to be making the other side wear hair shirts, you know, things like that. So it was a really kind of interesting take. And I think having listened to that specifically, I'll I'll 
I'll sidetrack a little bit. I think I understand why sometimes he's a little intimidating in terms of, of consuming anything that he produces in terms of media because his his essays are incredibly well-written, beautifully well-written, I would say, but he speaks very quickly. It's almost too quickly to absorb everything because he just the way he sort of writes is something I think is better read than listened to when he's speaking because he talks so fast. That was something I kind of noticed. So what is the blues and why does it matter? Well, except for a moment that if American classical music means anything at all, then we are really talking about the art form known as jazz. Blues is, in a certain sense, an ancestor to jazz as well as rock and roll and R&B with the so-called talking blues, a forerunner of hip-hop and rap. Thus, despite black audiences largely turning away from the blues as an art form, it can't really ever die because it is the foundation for so much of the American contribution to world music. Further, it is a place for musicians to meet. When two musicians who do not know each other or their respective styles want to play together for the first time, in my experience, they are most likely to try to play a 12-bar blues the way strangers would shake hands and introduce themselves. It is also a superpower waiting to be discovered in the life of everyone who dreams of playing music. Because it is based on just two musical rules, the initial overhead for entering the world of blues musicianship is quite a bit lower than other forms, while the limits of virtuosic elaboration within the idiom have never been found and tested even by the likes of Art Tatum or Jimi Hendrix. If you think you can't play music at all, but you have two strong working arms, start with a guitar and a slide like a coffee mug and a chart of the 12-bar blues cycle. You can probably play your first blues song within 15 minutes with a little bit of instruction from a friend who is knowledgeable. And so I would say maybe as a, as a tip, if you're going to listen to this podcast, maybe just slow it down a little bit in terms of the, the playback speed when he's doing one of his essays, his pre-prepared essays, because I think it will help you appreciate kind of the, he's a very good writer. And I think it helps you appreciate a little bit more because he does talk very quickly. Um, but anyway, so I listened to that episode. I listened to the most recent episode, which was cashing out my Trump and IDW positions. I listened to the Werner Herzog interview, which is one of the ones you recommended, which is episode three. And then I made it partially through the episode where he interviewed Sir Roger Penrose, who's a famous, he's a physicist, but he's specifically a geometric physicist. I don't know if that's the actual title, but he specializes in geometry and physics. It, the guy's kind of a legend, obviously. So yeah, so I listened to all of those episodes. <laughs> I don't Are any of those ones that you haven't heard or have you listened to all of those? Um, well, I definitely listened to the uh, Werner Herzog one, which surprisingly, Eric, when he's when he's a guest on a podcast, he's kind of a different person. He's a different person when he's hosting the podcast. So there's guest yes. Eric and then there's the host Eric. And typically when he's a guest, he doesn't really dumb down his conversation. And I've mentioned this before in the past. There was an episode where he was on the dark horse with his brother and they just get to talking at super high level concepts that I maybe understood 5% of what they were talking about. <laughs> uh, but as a host, he does a somewhat okay job. Maybe not Lex Friedman. And there's some parallels between this podcast, The Portal and Lex Friedman's podcast, but yes. he's actually not a terrible interviewer and he's okay at actually kind of dumbing down some concepts uh, sometimes I think he gets excited about what he's talking in and he forgets to do that. So like in the Werner Herzog one, that was actually, I, I find Werner Herzog just very fascinating to begin with. Oh, of course. So yeah. uh, that was like kind of like my first time actually seeing, you know, that, that was actually the first episode I ever watched. It was interesting seeing him as the host. And I was like, this is kind of a different guy. He's actually, he's a good interviewer. And, and it's interesting because like I said, kind of like Joe Rogan 
has like two modes. He has, the, I want to have a conversation mode. And then he has the interviewing interviewer mode. And it's kind of the same thing with Eric. So where he's actually doing the interviewing, he's actually a decent interviewer. And he's actually decent at having conversations with certain individuals. I hadn't listened to the Stephen Alexander one, which was interesting because Eric's kind of a polymath, I, I think. Mm-hmm. And he's also a musician. Apparently, he's a very talented musician. So this guy is probably right up his <laughs> Eric's alley because he's a physicist and a jazz musician. So um, I probably need to go back and listen to that particular episode. But you did mention the whole cashing out my Trump and IDW positions. That, that one I had not listened to either. Uh, I actually didn't even notice... It was out there when I was looking at the playlist recently. I probably need to go back and listen to that one because out of the IDW, him and Sam Harris are probably the most progressive of the two, even though there's been a lot of disparaging remarks made about the IDW in general, the intellectual dark web. And I think and I think he was the one who coined the term IDW, but I believe he's kind of stepping back away from that because I think... I probably need to go back and listen to the episode. There's probably reasonings why he's done that. And actually, that's what I thought when I saw the episode title, but that's not what he's doing. I think he and somebody else in that IDW group have had a uh, a falling out or something. And so I think they're... I think that's why he wanted to talk about his position on it. He still thinks it's it has value from what I could tell from the essay that he had on it. I honestly don't remember a ton of it because I consumed a lot of his stuff this week. <laughs> but I did think it was him kind of stepping away from it. But it's not. That's absolutely not what it is. It's a really good episode to listen to. It's one of the best takes on Trump that I've I think I've heard. He's very rational. He's a very rational individual, which makes sense. He's a mathematician. He keeps hyperbole out of it. He acknowledges... The flaws, you know, Trump's flaws and the the concerns he has with him. He also acknowledges the Trump derangement syndrome, so to speak, and and the inability to see anything positive about Trump when there actually are some legitimate things that are positive. It was interesting. It was more his perspective on what has changed culturally as a result of Trump. There was a lot there. Like I said, this is it was these were two of his essays. I want to go back and re-listen to it at kind of a slower pace because I know I missed stuff because it's just it was so much it was sort of drinking from a fire hose uh, because he talks so quickly and his thoughts are really kind of complex and nuanced and really elaborate. So I I feel like that's one that I would prefer to read and or listen to at a slower pace. But it was an excellent excellent take. I really like his way of thinking when it comes to extremism in general because between this and the Stephen Alexander episode where he did that kind of intro essay I really liked his thoughts on on the race relations it was a really beautiful take it was very frank and honest I have a very high opinion of him after listening to those because I I get tired and I've mentioned this before on the podcast I really get tired of all the hyperbole it's what frustrated me about the Rubin report just the nonsense that Dave Rubin is is doing now on his show that I feel like isn't true to what his show really was I feel like everybody seems to fall into that trap but Eric Weinstein has not done so I I really really enjoyed that episode even though it's sort of out of his normal because it, to your point I think I'm not 100% sure but I think his format is either a conversation with somebody or an interview with somebody for the most mm-hmm. part and I will say I will go so far as to say he's an excellent interview like the Werner Herzog interview I guess I kind of assumed that he would put more of himself and his thoughts into the interview because I've only ever heard him as an interviewee on you know other podcasts but he really doesn't in fact he's so good about it and it's a skill right so I've seen there's there's a thing that happens, and especially with Werner Herzog, because he will pause. Another interviewer would get uncomfortable with a pause and jump in to try to either complete the thought and or add on to it or complete the sentence. You know, like I've seen that before, whereas Eric just lets him go. 
and he waits until there is a clear point that Werner Herzog is done talking. And then he moves on and asks his next question. And none of his questions were predictable. He makes a point of trying when he's interviewing people to not ask the questions they always get. Because he said that about, I think he said that about the Werner Herzog interview. And then he also said that when he was interviewing uh, Sir Roger Penrose. He said, I'm, I'm not going to ask you about X, Y, or ask him about X, Y, Z. Because he's told that story a million times, or those stories a million times. I'm not interested in that. So I think he's a really good interviewer. His questions were insightful. I don't know. He just, he's not, he's not as emotionless as I expected from what I've seen. Because he kind of comes off sometimes like a robot. And I, I kind of expected that of him. But he's actually the opposite. He's super passionate. The episode with Stephen Alexander, I highly recommend because he's doing the things that we talked about with Lex Friedman much more frequently. And they're actually just these two friends sitting down, drinking, having some wine and talking. And so there are some times where they get sort of into these deep physicist or physics discussions that are really hard to understand. But he does a really good job in that episode of then walking it back and saying, okay, well, let me make an allegory for that. And my favorite one, he actually made an allegory basically comparing how we account for the presence of particles and forces we can't actually observe. So, you know, we, we, we think like that's kind of like dark matter and, and like the Higgs boson. We know it exists, but we can't observe it or we, up to a point we couldn't observe it, but we can theorize that it's there. He said it was very similar to um, making assumptions about what happened to Jeffrey Epstein. You know, you can make some <laughs> assumptions about what happened. It was hilarious. It was a really great, he seems to have a really wicked sense of humor. It is fast and you might miss some stuff, but he's, he's very sharp. So yeah, I think I, I was surprised at how a, into music he is, and B, kind of how passionate he is about some of the stuff. He got really fired up about the whole supersymmetry thing and how when it turned out to not be true that all these physicists, like the quote-unquote rock star physicists that were saying, this is the only way to look at it, this is the only truth, they were super, super convinced this was the, the, the solution. And when it turned out to not be true, they didn't have to pay any penalty to the community at large. Like they didn't have to take a hit, so to speak, for having been completely wrong and squashing any other theories. He got really fired up about that to the point where I was like, this guy's way more passionate than Brett, his brother. I always thought Brett was kind of the softer, more emotional one, but Eric's pretty passionate. Yeah, he seems like a very, and I follow him on Twitter. He, he seems like he's a very empathetic person. It seems like a very kind person, but I have a feeling he's one of those people, like if he has beef with you, he will be very direct and tell you that. Um, yes. But he just, he, he's such an interesting character. What's funny is that, and again, I haven't listened to every episode, but even though he works in economics, he doesn't really talk about economics that much. Although I did listen to an interview with him recently where, much to his own chagrin, he was on Glenn Beck, which you want to talk about a disparity of intelligence there. <laughs> I think Eric handled himself <laughs> fairly well, but it was all about, you know, e economics and stuff and his theories on economics, which was, I, I have heard him talk about economics before, and I thought that was really super interesting. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see if he, uh, what his take is on the current market volatility right now, considering it's, it's something that we haven't really ever seen before with the retail investors, but... And the whole GameStop thing. So I'm sure he's got something to say about it. Although he seems to be rather quiet on social media about it. But anywho, one of the things that's interesting is that he is, it's weird. He's very progressive, but he's also somewhat apolitical in the terms that he's willing to talk to anybody. And again, he's had James O'Keefe on, which is Veritas. That's, it's pretty, I don't, I don't want to say he's an extremist, but he's a pretty far right wing guy, but he's totally capable of having conversations with uh, some very far left uh, individuals. What I find refreshing is that the, the portal is, even though him himself has been portrayed as being some kind of political thing and that the IDW is considered a political thing, he doesn't really talk politics too much on his podcast, which I actually find 
rather refreshing. It's usually mostly about, and sometimes there's some overlap because he's going to talk about culture, but overall, and he's had a couple of people on there who are political figures, but more often than not, they're they're not political figures. It's almost kind of like Lex Friedman. You look at his guest list, 90% of the guests are mathematicians, physicists, so on and so forth, mm-hmm. with an occasional Michael Malice thrown in or whatever. Could you imagine Michael Malice on the portal? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> That would be very interesting. Um, it would be entertaining. I, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind listening to that. No, no, because they're completely opposite personalities. I mean, just like kind of like Lex Friedman is to Michael Oz. But yeah, his his uh, podcast in general is very apolitical. I think I think he's kind of tired of the politics, uh, and he kind of wants to move on beyond that. And I think he uses the portal as kind of his way of exploring subjects he likes, such as music, science, and occasionally cultural things. As you said, he's. He is very passionate. He's a lot more animated. He is exceedingly, his wit is very sharp, but it's also very dry. He doesn't crack jokes. Well, I guess he does crack jokes, but it's, <laughs> it, they come very fast that you don't really realize it immediately, but they are really good. He is very entertaining. I, I just, I find him himself to be such an interesting person that he could do a podcast of just him. It would be successful in my opinion. I would agree. I think if he was to do a podcast of just himself, because like I said, I've listened to a couple of episodes that either featured only his essays or had at least an essay at the beginning. And he's, like I said, he's a brilliant writer. I think he's he's very good at communicating kind of nuanced thoughts and positions on things or opinions on things. And so I, I think he could do that. But I think his, I think what he loves, what the feeling I get is that what he loves is having these conversations people that he either admires or is friends with who are in the same field or in or in sister fields so to speak obviously physics being one of them because he's a mathematician but math and physics are very closely related and and kind of intertwined especially at the intellectual or at, at, at in colleges and universities and things like that I think what makes his podcast a little bit different than the others we've talked about that are similar so like Lex Friedman Joe Rogan Brett Weinstein to some extent I think what makes his different is, and again, he doesn't have a ton of episodes. There's only like 42. But his guest list is very, very interesting, consistently very interesting. And I don't think there's an episode that I would get bored with or want to drop out of, even when he's talking to Sir Roger Penrose about stuff that's way over my head. And and I love, I have to call out the thing he did in that episode at the very beginning. He said, look, you're going to hear two people talking about physics and he said and a real science experience when you're discussing theoretical physics is not understanding half of what's being said because that is what happens between intellectuals who study in these fields and so don't feel like if you the way to approach this kind of conversation is if you're getting lost just keep listening and listen for the things that you can understand he said because half of the time you have two physicists talking to each other One of them is saying something, the other one's not understanding it. So the other one says something, you know, he's, that is the experience of of physics and theoretical physics specifically. And I did exactly that because there was a couple of times at the beginning, I was just, I don't understand anything they're talking about at this point, like zero, but I kept listening. And then it came to the, they called it uh, Dirac's uh, scissor problem. Oh yeah. 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 And he explained that. Now granted, that's an episode I think that interview specifically it probably does much better to watch it because i think there was some physical demonstration happening but he explained that and that was something i kind of understood i was like okay i understand so that led into the discussion of the spinners and while i didn't quite get all of the quantum physics part of it i did at least understand some of the 
analogies that they were using at that point. So I think you, I think that specific essay like or little intro right at the beginning of that interview is really super valuable because you go in to listen to something like that and you just feel like an idiot by the time you're done listening to it. Because at least I do usually because I don't understand what they're talking about. I understand maybe 10 to 15% of it. But even if they're not breaking it down with allegories that you can understand, if you keep listening, you start picking up things. And I, I think that's one of the reasons you're kind of way ahead of me in terms of understanding a lot of quantum mechanics and, and theoretical physics because you've listened to, you've consumed a lot of media around that. And I've consumed a very small amount because it gets frustrating sometimes. But I think he does a really good job of, which I didn't think he would because of how I've heard him on other podcasts. He does a really good job of being that person who tries to create allegories that will help the listener understand what they're explaining. It's funny, there's a uh, referring to Dr. Pamela Gay from Astronomy Cash said, if, uh, if somebody claims that they understand quantum mechanics, that means they don't understand quantum mechanics. Yeah, um, <laughs> I remember that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, and the funny thing is, is that when I first heard of Eric, it was either, it may have been on Joe Rogan. I thought, oh my gosh, this is a guy who is super smart. He's kind of pretentious about it. He knows he's super smart. He likes using big words. But after I really started listening to him, you know he's super smart. He's aware he's super smart. But he realizes that everyone around him is not as smart as he is. And I think he goes through great lengths to not come off as the smarty pants in the room, I guess. I, I have a completely different, you know, after listening to him for such a long time, I have a completely different take on him now where I enjoy listening to him, even if I don't understand what he's talking about uh, on, on certain things. And I would just I would just call out, too, that I think he's in his show, at least from what I've seen, a lot of times he's interviewing people that he thinks are smarter than him. Yes. That he recognizes are smarter than him. Yep. And so then he's taking the approach of, I want you to make me smarter. I want to understand what you know. And it becomes, I think that sort of, tamps down that smarty pants factor quite a bit like he's humble around those that he knows are way more intelligent than him or have a lot more information than him yeah which i think helps his show as well yeah i think at heart he is an educator uh, i don't know if he's actually done teaching out like his brother brett is a professor but i want to say eric maybe has done done some professor work for i'm not sure but i think at his heart though he is a teacher and he wants people to be smarter by at least thinking about the topics he's talking about. If he calls attention to anything culturally, I think it's got to be important because he's very empathetic. He's a very smart individual. He's very, he's he's a very empathetic person, and I think he he has a very human side to him. Like I said, at first you thought, okay, the podcast you probably sound like a robot. You'd be like a robot or whatever. But he is a very human type person who just happens to be very smart. And it's somebody, he, he's definitely a kind of person I would like to sit down and talk philosophy with or economic theory with or, well, probably not quantum mechanics. Um, but uh, <laughs> he's just, I don't know. There, there's something about him. It's very, he's like that cool teacher that you, you know, that you want to le actually learn from. Um, yeah. But one of, one of the things you mentioned on the Roger Penrose that there was a visual element to it. So one thing I, I don't think we brought up is that there's no, this is not part of any kind of network, podcast network. And I think it is definitely more popular on YouTube than it is on the podcast platform. And I think that's kind of where he originally gotten his uh, internet fame was via his appearances on Jay Rogan, Ruben Report, which are mostly, a lot of stuff he's been on YouTube is kind of, where his exposure came out, where his original exposure came from, his uh, appearances on various YouTube channels. So mm -hmm. so he doesn't have a network. I don't know about the, because I listen to him on YouTube, there's like no sponsorships or I, I've never heard him do an ad read. Did you listen, did you listen to it on YouTube or did you use the pod, uh, podcasting platform? 
I used a podcast app, and he does have ads, okay. ad breaks. Um, in the older episodes, his ad breaks are mostly mid-roll, multiple mid-roll breaks that are inserted after the fact. I think he's shifted to having them at the beginning in the later episodes, I want to say. I could be wrong about that because, like I said, I consumed a whole lot of them way out of order. So, But I know like with the Sir Roger Penrose interview, they were mid-roll breaks. There was multiple breaks for mid-roll ads uh, and they are self-read it's it's the kind of sponsors you would expect athletic greens and the same kind of uh, there was a few interesting ones there was like a watch company and then i think skillshare which wasn't a surprise that that makes a lot of sense so yeah I, he does have ads in the podcast feed I'm, I'm actually surprised he doesn't have them on his youtube channel as well but but yeah so maybe youtube is probably the better platform because you won't have the interruption of the ads and you won't have, although the ad reads aren't bad. He does them himself. He gets to the point quickly. They're not long and drawn out. Like when we were talking about uh, History on Fire last week where the ad reads were way too long. These are, you know, short to the point. Gets the information out there and he moves on. But I think, I think at least when you're talking, I really would like to watch the Stephen Alexander one with the two of them in person. Because apparently it was like at a bar or something, I think. And, and they were drinking red wine and just kind of having fun together. So talking about quantum mechanics and the supersymmetry controversy. So it was actually a really interesting episode. But I, I do think you would probably benefit more from watching this via YouTube versus listening to it in a podcast feed. Normally, I'm not the one to say that because I prefer listening to a podcast that way and, you know, via the podcast feed because I can, I can be doing other things I don't have to be sitting at my computer but this is one I think I would make an exception for at least some of the time for some of the episodes to watch it on YouTube personally for me I think uh, your mileage is going to vary on this podcast if you decide to listen to it because if you're not into the whole science thing then those episodes you might want to skip uh, and it's going to be kind of like Lex Friedman right uh, there's gonna be some guests that you just probably won't have any interest in I think your mileage is going to vary based on the guest list but I, I find him engaging himself uh, so even if he has you know, uh, guests on there I may not personally find interesting they may still have interesting content within them so my rating for me which is probably not obvious but I, d I definitely don't hate this podcast and I, I I don't listen to every single episode but I do keep an eye out when it does come out or when new episodes come out and see what the guest is and then I'll definitely check it out based on which specific guest is on yeah I, I definitely don't hate this one either I'm kind of glad that we've reviewed it because I want to keep it in my rotation I don't think I would listen to every episode they are long form for the most part. I think there's some, some exceptions. Some of them are closer to an hour, like the Werner Herzog interview, I think is an hour, hour and a half. It's it's actually a recording of an interview in front of an audience. I don't know where it was at. So that one, you know, is a little shorter. Some of them are shorter. I think you're right. I think it's a matter of the content of each episode, analyzing the content of each episode. And it's one that, frankly, I'm kind of grateful. It's not super frequent. Like, he doesn't drop every week. It could be months between episodes in some cases. I don't think there's a, a specific schedule. So it's kind of nice because... You know, when one does drop, it's not like you have to carve out two or three hours every week to try to listen to his podcast. And I think there's some pretty good value here. If you're not into science and physics and cosmology and all these other topics that he does like to discuss, you might find less that would be interesting here. But I think there's still value because like the Werner Herzog interview, completely fascinating because Werner Herzog is completely fascinating and Eric's a good interviewer. But yeah, so I don't hate it and I'm going to continue to listen to it. Our next podcast today is, wow, well, one of the most popular podcasts out there, I believe, 99% Invisible. This is a Radiotopia production. Radiotopia is from PRX. It's a, uh, it's a network, but it's independent. So it's all, they're all independent artist owned 
podcasts. So they get the benefit of kind of marketing to other Radiotopia podcasts. They'll sometimes play, if there's a new podcast launching on the network, they'll play a clip of it in a different podcast feed. So you get a lot of exposure, but they are all artist owned. So Radiotopia does not dictate. And I think actually Radiotopia is founded by Roman Mars, who is the host of 99% Invisible, or at least he's one of the founders. So as as I noted, it's hosted by Roman Mars. It is a podcast that's ostensibly about design not any particular field of design so it could be I think I think everybody thinks architecture when they think of 99% invisible and they do have a lot of episodes that are related to architecture but it's it's design of everything the everyday world around us that's why it's called 99% invisible right it's the things that that are every day you see around you all the time but you don't notice it has a very kind of public radio feel to it it is uh, I think produced in I think it's or it used to at least be produced in a uh, public radio studio that they use. They may have their own studio now, though. I think it's based in Oakland, California, and it has been running for a very long time. I don't know how long. I didn't look that up, but it has been around forever. The first podcast I ever listened to was a podcast from Adam Savage from the Mythbusters called uh, Still Untitled. And that's how I discovered this podcast because he had Roman Mars on as a guest and he had mentioned the 99% Invisible podcast, which, you know, if, you, if you're into podcasts at all, you've heard of this podcast, but I was very new to podcasts at that time. And so this was probably the second podcast I ever subscribed to. So I have been listening to this for a very, very long time. They do upload regularly um, weekly. They have such a huge catalog that it's sometimes they'll, re-upload an old episode if for some reason it's relevant right now or they they have a lot of they have a lot of production value that goes into their stories so sometimes if they need to have an extra week for some larger project they're doing they'll replay an episode from five years ago or something so it is a very large library of episodes to go through if you're interested in that I would not recommend even making an attempt to do so but I did recommend a couple of episodes to you because you had not visited with this podcast before. A couple of my favorite episodes. So which ones did you get to listen to this week? I think you said you got to listen to two of them. Yes. Um, it was episode 390, which was Fracture. And mm-hmm. then episode 421, you've got Enron Mail. Um, one, of the, one of the things you mentioned was, uh, so this podcast is predominantly about architecture. Or let me rephrase that. You said it's design, but it's, is it, do they mostly talk about architecture? I wouldn't say mostly. I don't know if that's kind of where it began, but there's definitely, it's a common thing that they'll visit. Uh, In fact, the the book that they recently published, that Roman Mars recently published called The 99% Invisible City, most of it has to do with infrastructure and architecture, but it is, it runs the gamut. It can be design of anything. Okay. Uh, So I would not say it's focused on architecture. It just is one of the many design topics they'll cover. Okay, so it's something really weird on the Fracture episode, which that episode covers the the history of the font used by uh, the official font of the Nazi party, essentially. And, it, and it's a font that had existed prior to the Nazis adopting it as their official font and, you know, kind of the aftermath of using it. And it wasn't a terribly long episode. I think it was only like 35 minutes. But for some reason, the last 10 minutes, they completely moved away from the subject of that because there, there was an ad roll and... Mm-hmm. Then they had this woman on, uh, Kate Wagner, to talk about architecture in the U.S. And I was like, okay, where is this going? Is this tie into Fracture? Had nothing to do with it. I was like, I'm so confused now. Um, and so that's that's kind of why I was asking that question because you had like a 25 minute, I guess, 
you know, history of Fractor, which is very interesting and it's very well produced. It I, it almost got kind of Malcolm Gladwell type, you know, revisionist history vibes, although Roman is not as engaging, I would say, as Malcolm Gladwell is. He's just kind of more clinical, I guess, in presenting the story of this font, which I've... I was a little hesitant to listen to this because I, I had watched a documentary, I think on Netflix or something, uh, about the history of Helvetica font, and it was the most boring thing I ever watched in my entire life. Uh, but this was a lot. This was a lot more interesting, I will admit, um, because it, it, it literally that that documentary was just like, here's the history of the font and how it was created and why it was created. Where this kind of gets more into the cultural impacts, not only like why that font, which I think they called what was it, black type, I think why that font was used because it does have some practical uses behind it but kind of like the cultural impact of it mm-hmm. so and then they just switched to talking about trump's executive order that you know federal construction has to follow a classical a uh, classical design i guess uh, of architecture and they were very angry about it for some reason and so <laughs> it was an, an attempt for this uh, kate wagner just to be like very pissed off that i, I don't know why this architecture thing was put into this episode of Fractor. I was very confused by that. And so I listened to the, I was like, okay, well, maybe they talk about two subjects. One subject's kind of more important than the other. And so I was like, okay, well, let me listen to Enron one. And the whole thing was about the Enron thing. But this wasn't done by Roman Mars. It was done by, it was uh, somebody who worked with Business Insider. So I don't know if it was like a special episode or something like that. They didn't have a title to make it think it was a special episode. So I don't know if, if Roman doesn't do every episode, but I just, I just found that kind of weird. So 99% Invisible is interesting because the typical format of a standard 99% Invisible episode is Roman Mars is the host, but they have a whole team of people. And so he's kind of the host and producer. He's the vehicle through which the information gets to you, but it's generally each episode is produced or is is one of the people on his staff goes off and does and researches the story and puts it all together. And then they're sort of giving it to Roman Mars, being like, so Roman will bring them on and they'll talk about their their topic and then they go off and it, it sort of becomes their show. And then generally after the ad break, they'll come back and they'll have some sort of ancillary topic that okay. is that they discovered along the way. So while they were researching this, that's the most common use of that sort of second little segment is, so a great example is you might have, and this isn't, this is not the case for this episode. I'm just off the top of my head because they just had their mini episodes or their mini stories, which is at the end of the year. There was an episode about uh, peat bogs and the attempt to try to turn peat bogs into forests because they thought that there would be a better climate climate benefit. And turns out it was a terrible idea, right? And so it actually, like peat bogs are better for carbon, you know, carbon absorption than trees are. So there was this whole thing about, you know, kind of a lesson learned of trying to change the, the topography of an area to be more carbon neutral. It turns out you actually screwed it up worse. The second segment might be like, oh, while I was researching this, I found out this cool story about these sheep that eat seaweed, you know, in Scotland, because it was all in Scotland. So that wasn't the case in that episode. That was actually a mini story that they did, but they found while they were doing the peat bog. But that's kind of what the structure is. So generally, you'll have the main story, which is very produced, very well put together. And then the second part is usually just Roman talking to the person who did all the research and kind of created the story or put the story together about something interesting they found that was ancillary to that topic either they discovered it while they were researching it or it's kind of an interesting factoid that they couldn't quite fit into the to the main topic so it's interesting I, it's been a long time since i've listened to the fracture episode i remember loving that episode but it's very rare that the other segment is not related to the main topic of the show so i would say that's probably an outlier and it was probably because design is their thing 
it must have been because there was some current news item about design that they felt like they had to speak to or talk about. So that's right. probably why it, it came up because I think their audience would probably expect them if if a president makes a statement about, you know, architecture design or whatever requires, makes some sort of change. I think the, the audience probably expects them to address it. And they are, I mean, they're in Oakland, California. They're very, very oh. progressive. Oh, and there's man. a lot of that, yeah, running through the show in terms of their topics. But I will say, even though they're extremely progressive, they mostly keep that out of the show other than just their selection of topics. So they'll talk about, they'll do a series on the homeless homelessness problem and that's not really political, but they'll do, they'll do some episodes that are clearly timely because of whatever's going on in the news and they'll, it'll have sort of that angle of, they've done a lot of episodes that are related to climate change, for example, which shouldn't be political, but it is. And so I think it does impact sort of the choices of topics that they do. But in general, they don't, talk politics at all as far as i've seen in the show well in the lady that the architecture lady that they were talking to at the end of that fractor episode uh kate wagner she was exceedingly pretentious i mean Mm -hmm. it was she was absolutely insufferable and i was like why this was a very interesting subject that they were talking about the only thing i could think of was the fact that hitler was very it was all about germanism right mm-hmm. everything had to be super german and he didn't actually like the font but since it had kind of like a teutonic germanist you know germanic feel to it or whatever they made a executive basically executive order type thing saying it's going to be the you know official font of the third reich and then you've automatically switch the subject that oh trump makes an executive order that we have to use classicalism for our architecture because it's very american and i was like okay is this some veiled way to say trump is literally hitler it kind of bs <laughs> and, and she was like so angry and pretentious about it i was just like it really turned me off because it was all of a sudden they were very apolitical to this whole thing talking about the nazis and you know germany and stuff and all of a sudden mm-hmm. they just get into this tirade about how terrible trump is because he says he needs that we want to keep classical aesthetic for new federal government buildings and so uh, which seems kind of innocuous at first but they were just they they weren't were not having it so i was like oh okay whatever but it uh, but besides that before they kind of got off on that what i felt like was a weird tangent because to me it felt like there was no connection really between the two uh whereas i think like you're saying the sheep that eat seaweed sounds way more interesting than them just kind of getting all angry about classical architecture what i did like about it and this is one of the things i did like you know aside from what i just mentioned um one of the things i did like about it there's a lot of mixed media being used it's either uh interviews or uh reading from like newspaper articles and quotes and stuff and they'll even do interview interviews themselves it sounds like and so there's a lot of mixed media stuff and so it it definitely had again that kind of malcolm revision malcolm gladwell revisionist history uh, feel to it which I did enjoy and it was something that you don't really ever think about you know like the font of the of the Third Reich like what's what's the history of that you no one really ever thinks of that and mm-hmm. what does that mean if somebody uses it today because that's kind of where it's all started it was uh, written on a side of a bus or something and it was something uh, I don't remember like the driver's not German or something I don't remember right <laughs> uh, and it kind of set this whole media firestorm over this and so it was, it was an interesting topic because you don't think about that kind of thing and that kind of goes into the you've got enron mail which that one was very fascinating because that one was about the everyone's aware of the whole enron scandal and all that stuff but this was specifically about the emails the enron corpus they called it 
and that the emails were all released to the public. It wasn't necessarily about what was the content of the emails, but how the emails were used. That the emails have been used for various algorithms uh, because they can just go and download a million emails and or it's like terabytes of emails and they can create algorithms that can recognize what intent is the conversations and so google siri all that stuff when it does predictive text it has basis on them doing research on the enron emails and they talk about the privacy concerns of that and various other things so that that was one was actually really fascinating yeah, and I think both of those, the reason I chose both of those episodes, I forgot about, obviously, with the Fracture, that there was kind of that separate rant at the end. But the reason I chose both of those, I think they're both really good examples of what makes this podcast what it is. I think they're kind of your exactly stereotypical 99% Invisible podcast because it's something that a, a particular font has this kind of cultural history and meaning to the people, well, people all over the world, but obviously even to Germany, that they're very sensitive to it and, and how that can actually impact, just just seeing that font can have a psychological impact for them. And then this, this Enron thing was fascinating because if you think about AI, the way that AI is designed, you need a huge trove of actual conversations, right? You need a huge amount of interaction between people for the AI to start to understand, you know, how people talk to each other and how otherwise speech recognition and things like that just doesn't work, right? You have to you have to have a massive amount and this was freely available to researchers because it became public record. But then there's all these things that are tied to that, like the privacy concerns or the fact that it is representative of a certain subset of the human population or the American population. You know, it's, it's people who worked at this type of company during this era of time. And so it both of these to me speak to what 99% invis Invisible is really good at, which is finding things that we didn't need, that you didn't realize were there or you didn't realize have an impact and telling a really interesting story around them. And I think their, their various team members do a really great job. And I think one of the things I would recommend to anybody newly coming into this podcast is every year they have a couple of episodes of what they call the mini stories, where all of the people who go out and do these stories and do the research and, and kind of put together the episodes, they'll find things that weren't enough to make an entire episode out of, but that were really interesting and they don't want to lose sight of. So they'll keep those, and then they'll talk about them during these mini-stories. It's a great sort of, uh, you'll get in two episodes, you might get six to ten stories, right? That's probably a little high. Six to eight stories that are kind of small little, great little 99% invisible nuggets. And it gives you kind of a great preview into what makes the show, what kind of stories they go after. And I guarantee if you listen to any other kind of general knowledge or cultural history type podcasts, whether it's Stuff You Should Know or The Omnibus Project, which is one we've covered, you're going to see topics that have probably already been covered by 99% Invisible. In one of the probably best cases of the Batter Meinhofs, there was two different podcasts I listened to. Remember, it was three. I think it was three that all within the span of a couple of weeks did an episode that either touched on, and 99% Invisible was one of them, either touched on or was specifically about the generic product craze in the 70s and into the 80s. And so it's really weird. And that happens sometimes. It's one of those weird kind of convergences. But generally, 99% of Visible is always one of them when that happens because they just, they have such a vast library and they really do a great job of covering these types of topics. Especially with the, the You've Got Enron Mail one, it, it had a very investigative journalist kind of vibe to it. 
as opposed mm-hmm. to podcast because uh, it's it's the story by the guy who did the research into this, but it's presented like he's doing an investigative journalism kind of thing. It, it reminded me of kind of like before Vice became terrible publication back when Vice used to do these documentary kind of things uh, and they're all available on YouTube and this is like back in the 2008 era or whatever. One of the episodes they had was when you go to a water treatment facility, people only really want to know like how do you treat the water, but what do you do with all the waste product? And so they kind of follow the trail of where does the human waste go? And it was very fascinating. And it kind of reminded me of that. It was, again, yes. it has this very investigative journalist kind of uh, story to it, which I, and it was well produced. I, I will say it's very well produced. And there's not really an intro. They kind of jump right into it. And they do have ads, but it's just a lot of scripted ads. You know, they're self-read, but they're, they're nothing special. It's usually, it seems like there's like one mid-roll ad. It was definitely entertaining, and I liked it. One of the things I found also interesting in the Enron thing was, uh, you're talking about, you know, they're based in California and stuff, was that one of the things that they had said was, well, this was, you know, these emails were from Enron. It was, you know, mostly males of that company in the oil and gas industry in Houston, Texas. There's biases in the emails, right? So Mm -hmm. if we use these emails for developing AI, it's going to have these biases in uh, in the AI, Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, they don't understand that Silicon Valley has their own biases that they put into their own AI uh, to begin <laughs> with. So I, I found the cognitive dissonance there very humorous to me. I, I definitely will listen to more of this. And one of the things that, and let me pull it up here, is again, this is one of those podcasts where the title doesn't give you a ton of information, right? Which is very annoying. If I if you have something where you have 400, 500 episodes of something, you're like, okay, let me go through here and read it. Some of them are, it gives you no idea of what it's talking about. Like, well, there, there's one here, The Dolphin That Roared. Okay, I have no idea what that is. I'm going to skip it. Then there's the one that's the worst video game ever. I kind of got an idea what that means. I will listen to that one. So that that that's one of my pet peeves about podcasts. And I, I kind of mentioned that in my favorite murder. Like, the title wasn't even about the subject of the podcast. It was their banter. <laughs> yes, um, yes. So that, that was, that's kind of a thing with me is like, it, it just annoys me, especially when it's a good podcast and they have a ton of episodes to go back and listen to, which, again, this is one of those ones where I feel like you can just pick any of them and you can listen to it without any having listened to all the previous library. But again, I, I don't know what I'm going to pick out because the titles make no sense. Yeah. And, and I would uh, they also do, like I said, they'll do. So some of their staff will go off and do kind of a separate limited run series and they'll often air it via the 99% Invisible feed. So like there was an Articles of Interest series that one of their folks did, which was also a separate podcast, but they also put it into the 99% Invisible feed. And then they just recently did one on the on homelessness in San Francisco, or the Bay Area, I should say. And it was, I think, five or six episodes. It was definitely a limited run series. It was really good, but it was not... It wasn't technically 99% Invisible. It was a product of 99% Invisible, if that makes sense. So there is that. And then occasionally they'll just feature an episode from a totally different podcast. It might be a different a one from Radiotopia. In some cases, it's not even that. It's just a podcast that, you know, they think has some symmetry with 99% Invisible. And they'll agree to air an episode of that podcast on their feed. Um, one of which was really hilarious because it was, it was, I think it was like a tech podcast. But they were specifically talking about how with, I think it was Apple CarPlay. It wouldn't play 99% Invisible 
because and they all thought it was because of the percent in the name of the podcast but it turned out that wasn't it. and it was this whole the whole episode was troubleshooting that problem and it turned out to be really entertaining and fascinating so they they featured that episode right or they'll feature an episode where roman mars was being interviewed about their new book on another podcast so there's a lot of crossover with other podcasts. It is a good place to find other podcasts. I mean, I've certainly found at least three other podcasts uh, because they've either been featured on 99% Invisible or they're part of the Radiotopian network. Yeah, it's there's a lot there. I agree. Their website's actually really good. The 99%invisible.org, I think. Every single episode, the full transcript is there along with pictures, which are often very relevant for a design podcast. And it's a really, really good website. So I think... Finding topics or finding past episodes to listen to, you're right. It's going to be really hard based on the podcast name. In some cases, it's pretty straightforward. Like Fracture is about Fracture. But in some cases, there are going to be esoteric names that aren't going to tell you really anything about it. You have to look at the show notes to get an understanding of what it's about. But I, I would say my recommendation would be to just start with the most current episode and then maybe do a little bit of internet research, kind of Google best episodes of 99% Invisible, and I guarantee you there's lists out there that will give you some really great kind of classic 99PI episodes to listen to. So I think there's kind of ways around that. I, 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 do, I do get why it's a pet peeve because I also find it slightly annoying um, when podcasts don't, you know, you have to read the show notes to understand what the episode's about. But there's such a huge library there and it's so immensely popular that there's, there's going to be information on the internet to kind of help guide you if you want to go dip into their backlog of episodes. Yeah, and as far as rating goes, like I, I don't hate the podcast. I, I was thoroughly entertained uh, and educated uh, I learned a lot from, the, especially the Enron thing. That was super interesting <laughs> to me. Yeah, I definitely don't hate it. I would recommend checking it out. I, I feel like this is probably, and one of the good things about it is that episodes aren't terribly long either. It looks like the average between 30, 45 minutes, sometimes an hour. And so that, that again, your commitment's not huge. Yep. And I think it's generally one episode per week. Uh, like I said, sometimes that'll be a re-airing of a prior episode or it might be they're featuring some other podcast. But yeah, it's it's one episode a week, generally less than an hour, well less than an hour. And their ad roll break, I think, is very clearly defined, easy to skip if you don't want to listen to the to the ads. And they do a funding drive once a year for a couple of weeks. So they will kind of start off those episodes talking about the funding drive. I think it's worth noting that because uh, they are completely... Yeah, like I said, the, the Radiotopia is artist owned, but they don't have like Patreon. They don't have any of that. They're completely ad supported. And also the funding drive um, kind of helps keep them all going. So yeah, I obviously don't hate it. I love this podcast. I've been listening to it for, like I said, for a very long time because it is the second podcast I ever subscribed to. So it's a great chance to learn some interesting things. Uh, Roman Mars, I think, is a pretty good host. And they have a really, really great team working for them doing their research. So yeah. I say give it, a, give it a shot if you, by some, for some reason, have never heard of it or looked into it. <laughs> have thoughts you want to share? Send us an email at whyihateyourpodcast at gmail.com or visit our website at whyihateyourpodcast.com. You can also find us at Hate Your Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Our intro, transition, and outro music is by Kevin McLeod and licensed under Creative Commons. Please see the show notes for details.